0: Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Blizzard's Greatest Games podcast recorded at Outset Studios in beautiful South Wimbledon. Joining myself, Marcus Speller and Jonathan Wilson today is John Bruin, freelance sports writer for The Guardian, among others. John, lovely to have you with us. Lovely to be here, Marcus. The game that you have chosen for us to to feast upon today is the 2005 Champions League final in Istanbul. Liverpool 3, AC Milan 3, of course, Liverpool 1, 3-2 on penalties. I shouldn't have to ask this, but I will. Why have you chosen this one?
1: Simple answer, really.
2: Is it because you're a massive Liverpool fan?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, despite not being a massive Liverpool fan, it's the best game I've ever been to. I've Mm -hmm. ever seen the greatest spectacle. um, And just one of those ridiculous nights where a game gets carried away with itself mm-hmm. to the point where you just can't believe what you're seeing, even though, as I'm sure we'll get onto, there was a certain inevitability after a certain point about what was going to go on. Um, just, I mean, uh, but people talk a lot about emotion in football, but this was definitely one of those games which a, a night was carried by emotion, tension, And I wouldn't say a sense of destiny, but uh, in one sense, disbelief about what was going on, actually, from both teams, I would say. Mm -hmm. Uh, Liverpool,
0: they're a very special football
1: club. And nights like this
0: really kind of define that, don't they? This is the kind of, um, as you say, you talk about the emotion, you talk about the passion. And it's almost like that kind of spirit of, of Liverpool past managers, past players, all that kind of stuff, all channeling the, in, into one thing that produces
1: an absolutely outrageous result. Well, certainly in, in terms of European football, that has been uh, the way that... I mean, I think it's fair to say no club quite has its own self-mythology like Liverpool. But yeah. in in this case, there's no way you can mythologize about this game. Because mm. But of... there's
2: an interesting point there. I think that often these self-mythologies... While it can be very uh, damaging where, you know, if it's a, uh, a a club that is sort of demanding to play a style of football that's out of keeping with their stature, mm-hmm. West Ham, Everton, uh, for instance. Mm-hmm. Newcastle. Well, I mean, yeah. And oh, we don't have to name them all. Um, <laughs> but it, 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 it can be a real positive. It can be self-fulfilling. So, know yeah, well, what Manchester United are trying to do. Yeah, but I mean I know, but Liverpool's sort of belief in their capacity for the big nights when they always come mm-hmm. back and they always get the late goal they need. Yeah. Based almost entirely on one game against Santa Gien in nineteen seventy seven, um, somehow it works. Yeah. And it you know, we've seen it this season. Um the the comebacks and I think it works two ways. One, one you know, part of it is Liverpool and the crowd, they know that tradition and, and so um the sort of belief that mm-hmm. we we can get back, even though it was, we need three goals or four goals, we can get back, and also the opposition start to feel it. Kind of, hang on, may, maybe this lead isn't safe, and you know that that, that psychological tipping mm-hmm. is one of the things that allows it to happen. The, the belief it can happen because it's believable, it becomes achievable.
1: Of course, absolutely. And, uh, on on this night, um, I do think that the fans had quite a lot to do with what went on. Um, you know, I, I was in Istanbul, I was there for three or four days as it turned out. And uh, you know, the Did you miss your flight home, did you join the celebration? <laughs> well, no, I got just got there on a Monday morning and uh it actually I was much delayed getting back, but that was no fault of my own. I was oh, I on time. Okay, but yeah, fair. I mean getting in and out of there was incredible. I mean that was that what's um Jonathan will know this, I'm sure you do, Marcus, that when you when everyone descends, the mm. gathering of the tribes at these types of event Istanbul is very special because it's, it's well, it's a European city, but only just yes. because you well, know half of it isn't, right? Half of yes, exactly. In Asia, so and it's, such an enormous city. As quite, well. yeah. Well, that that was another thing. Um, uh, getting out to that stadium. Well, well I it, think we it, should talk about that. This, I mean, the stadium itself is not in Istanbul, is, surely. Yeah, <laughs> it's
2: a good seven, eight, nine miles so outside Istanbul. Which continent is the stadium in then? I don't know. actually. <laughs> I have it a feeling
1: Europe. it it might it might be Europe but It's the
2: same side of the bus as the airport. Yes. So I think it must be Europe. <laughs> okay. Yeah.
1: But I mean <laughs> I, I would describe it um with no disrespect to the uh environs of uh <laughs> of Istanbul but uh the scene when people when okay what happened was in the in the I suppose the battle bus I traveled up there with um When everyone realised that they weren't going to get near to the stadium, everyone peeled out of these buses and taxis and whatever else and walked down to a stadium in which the lights were blaring out. Now, Close Encounters of the Third Kind is (laughs) that famous scene. It was just incredible. Yeah, I mean, through wasteland and.
2: I, I arrived on the day of the game, starting naively, and I landed and I kind of thought, oh, maybe I should go to my hotel and check in. And then yeah, I'd heard a few whispers of kind of, it's not that easy to get there. And I sort of had seven hours for kick kickoff. <clears throat> I thought, right, I'll go straight to the stadium, just to be on the safe side. I'd rang the hotel, so don't worry, I'll be, I will be there. And I was in the queue for taxis, quite a long queue. And there's these two Aussie Liverpool fans were in front of me. And we said, I oh, would go into the stadium, we'll share a cab. And it, within about an hour and a half, we got to, you could see the stadium uh-huh. it was just over these sort of, they like allotments or something, over these sort of fields with some, of, some mm-hmm. produce going there. And, um, there was a policeman at the, uh, yeah, at the bottom of the road and he was saying, you know, asking Liverpool on Milan?" And, yeah, if you said Liverpool, he pointed mm-hmm. to his left. And so we set off. Right and, up, and I'm you. assuming, like, we're 20, 30 minutes away because I can see the thing. Yeah, But we got this massive loop into the mountains. <laughs> and when we turn the corner in this taxi, we join a queue and the queue's not moving. Um, and in this sort of moonscape, it's just this yeah, dry, and, um, dusty... Yeah. And we crawl down this road... And there's these buses and there's people obviously been drinking all day on these buses, getting off and urinating by the side of the road. It's like oh this sort of refugee train or something. And then eventually I sit in this queue for like five hours. And eventually it gets to half an hour before kickoff. And I can see the stadium. and I think it's a couple of miles away. But I haven't got my accreditation or anything. So I just got out of the taxi and I paid him, obviously. And then I ran. <laughs> so I get to the accreditation centre. And thankfully I was late enough, there was no queues. Got me accreditation sorted. Went straight into the ground, but I was dripping with sweat because was a hot night, it was a yeah, humid yeah. night, and I'd, I'd literally run two miles with my bag, and um, sit down next to uh, Paddy Barclay, the you know uh, very well-known, mm-hmm. um, much respected football journalist. And I'm soaking, and I get my laptop out. Massive adrenaline rush, and the first thing I see is Paolo Maldini. Maldini- Putting Milan ahead volume, after volume. 50, 53 seconds or something.
1: A rare volley from a uh, rare volley. Yeah,
2: and so because I had this this sort of hyper kind of uh, sort of relief of being there, I sort of started typing, and so I think this is perfectly. You know, Maldini was thirty six and he turned thirty seven the following month. So you know, Maldini capping this great career with yeah, his yeah. with his yeah, really good finish from an awkwardly bouncing free kick, and yeah you know, i've sort of written five hundred words but within ten minutes uh but yeah, it's, it's i I can't think of a harder ground to get but to the whole I, thing
0: I, and that, and it that that only adds to it for me the whole thing about being in istanbul we've talked a tiny bit about the yes. system, the whole final of the white place is m- mythical almost yeah
1: i mean it i mean you know the uh, as as we're finding out this season you know the the European events are going to Wider places, he Baku is. could be of a, a, a similar legend, but you, um, <laughs> it. I often think about that final. Um, uh, that if Liverpool had not won it, I think we'd have heard a lot more about mm. how the logistics of getting there and getting back. I remember traveling back from that game, you know, everybody absolutely euphoric after what happened, but you see, Liverpool fans stood up on a bus. And they'd been on a bus, be, be on a bus going back into Istanbul for four or five hours. We didn't get back into central Istanbul till four in, in the morning or something like that. Yeah. It was I think absolutely it was well inc- after that.
2: Because inc- don't, don't forget, that, like, the game would have been kicking off at ten forty-five. Yeah, well, and, yeah. And,
0: and to contrast that, if I may, we, you know, I went to the final in Rome in uh, two thousand and nine, two thousand and nine, yeah, Barcelona. Yeah. You know, our flight was only a few hours after the game, so we managed to leave the stadium get back to where the buses were parked, which were a little bit further away from the stadium, get to the airport. You know, we probably touched down at about four or five in the morning, whereas you've just got back to the city centre. Yeah, well... Compared I, mean, to, I mean, Rome isn't the most organised
1: of places I mean, at the best of times, but compared to that... It was
2: definitely light by the time I got back to the hotel. Yeah, I yeah. mean, I mean it,
1: that's remarkable. I mean, you speak to Liverpool fans, there'll be several stories about how they went straight <laughs> to the airport and not, a lot of people would have missed their flight I because bet, yeah. of the, yeah. the logistics of getting out there. Where it almost got to the point, I'm told, where people just—if you're on a flight back to England, just get on this one. Mm. Almost like a standing room only <laughs> on flights back. It, absolutely chaotic. Like London, buses but you're right. That is
2: part of the legend. The people who who you know, traveled by land and got you know, trains, and obviously it was all the issue in, in yeah. Bulgaria. Uh-huh. Um, but you know, this this huge. When you win, that's great. This huge cavalcade yeah, across Europe, yeah. and, and the hard, you know, have a difficulty getting that adds to it, but. That was not a... Yeah, the feeling at half-time
0: would have been probably a bit different. You know?
1: Well, at, at half-time, um, I mean, that's one of my overriding memories of the night is, you know, they're 3-0 down. We should, I mean, should we talk about it, we, the first we half? We should, yeah, yeah. Yes.
2: So, Maldini scores, they're, they're one nil up, and Milan just look, as they were, <laughs> a much, much better side. Utterly yes. dominant. I mean, when uh, you said uh, about... Shevchenko Ma- had a goal, he, he looked out that- for a very, very tight offside... Offside, which would have made it 2 0. Yes. Yeah, and then Shevchenko lays on the second for Crespo. With, yeah. But, yeah. Nice move, low cross. Crespo comes at the back post, taps yeah. it in. Liverpool's defence absolutely all over the place. Jimmy Traore not having his best night. No. And then the third goal, right on the stroke of half time. Uh, absolutely absolutely beautiful goal. Like Kekar, <sighs> who's probably the best player on the pitch, certainly in the first half, this fantastic yeah. arced pass. Jamie Carragher desperately stretching, trying to get I can't get there. Crespo runs on, first touch, little dink over Dudek, 3-0. And I've sort of written my piece and I thought 50 words to kind of just add yeah. in a bit of...
0: And you can put your feet up for the second yeah. half, probably. Yeah,
2: Shevchenko had two further goals in the second half, full stop, there we go. Yeah, all exactly.
0: Done. Well, for for me, the first half, going all the way back to the Maldini goal, as you, as you were writing, I believe, when you said you'd written about 500 words or something, was... Oh, well, oh, that's, as you say, capping off a night. It's almost like a farewell kind I mean, of...
2: Little did we know Maldini would be playing in the final again two years later. Yeah,
0: well, of course. Uh, and, uh, but when the third one went in, it was, it was bad enough you think I could get to half-time at 2-0, damage mm. limitation. When the third one goes in just before the stroke of half-time in the manner of which it goes in, to dink the ball like that, it was. It was. They were so superior. Yeah, I think I was going to say. I think
1: Jonathan underplayed just how good a goal that <laughs> yeah. was with the finish by Crespo <laughs> it's is. A brilliant goal. It's just you yeah. know. Uh, it, I don't think. I mean, reading stuff, he couldn't believe how good a finish <sighs> it was. But the confidence. Yeah.
0: To do that, I mean, you, you look at the two
1: starting lineups.
0: It is it, it almost is quite laughable, really. Now, when... well, and
2: also, like, um, Liverpool lost Harry Kewell after twenty-three minutes. Yeah. To uh, you know, to a muscular injury. So the evade had to reach
1: you. As it and, turned and, and, and out, had,
2: to to you coming on they, did them a favour. <laughs>
1: and Kuehl had been a big risk. He'd been, I mean, over the couple of days before the game, that had been the talk that uh, Benitez, who, as we know, liked to tinker with his team, mm. that would be the risk that he would take. That was the, the word escaping from the dressing room. And I'm not sure it's one that anyone particularly agreed with that he would play. He should play. Unfortunately for Kuehl, it's probably one of the defining moments of his career, really, mm. isn't it? Yeah. Um, he was a player who, of such great talent, he had a habit of getting injured and then being fit just in time <laughs> for finals, and then breaking down not it not really on happening him in the final. In yeah. the so that was a, so it, you know, that first half, it was disaster upon disaster for Liverpool.
0: Mm. And as I say, going back to those starting lineups, yes, some of those players, as we were discussing beforehand were perhaps past their best. Not quite at their best, yes. Yeah, well, some not quite at the business. some sort of past But still, the, you look at that. But Kakar was, he was... Pirlo the...
2: Gattuso, Sadov, Kakar. I mean, that's a midfield. Like.
0: <laughs> they,
1: they're certainly canny operators, but, as you would say. Uh, Shevchenko uh, And front. Shevchenko
2: and Kressler up front. I mean, it's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, was,
1: I was going to say that the, the legend of <laughs> Pirlo wasn't quite as it was later. I think this is one of the games in which, you know, I, I actually, I want tell, tell a story about him. Uh... I ended up uh, sat with some execs from the company I used to work for at ESPN. Mm. And one of them's father was there. Uh, it wasn't a nepotism thing. He actually was working out there. Mm. And uh, he'd never been to a football game before. And this was the first <laughs> football match he'd been to. <laughs> normally, oh, they're all like is this. Is it normally <laughs> this hard to get to a football Yeah, match? <laughs> and, yeah exactly. He it, it, like, um, was 70 years old or so. And uh, he, he turned to me and he said, this payload guy, it, does he know what he's doing? Really? Yeah, just like, he, he you know, he was um, a guy who was into the arts, into the ballet and stuff like that, and he couldn't believe how, how good he was. The fact that Pirlo would receive the ball and knew, knew where the ball was going next and his movement and just enthused about that to me for, throughout the game. Interesting.
0: Yeah. That's quite fascinating. That. Well, so we get to half-time. Yes. And uh, Jamie Carragher said, when looking back on the game once, he said, when he went off at half-time, he started going through his mind, the biggest margins in... in yeah, that's what I spent my half-time
2: yeah. doing, was going through, what's what's the record win? Exactly, and he... And he 7-3 could, or... Yeah, 7-3 or 4-0. or 4-0 with Milan against Barcelona 94. Yes, of course.
0: Yeah. And, and Carragher was thinking, okay, what's... I don't want to be the worst, yeah essentially. Can we... How, how do we keep this damage limitation? Mm. And, and he said, if you'd have offered us... Literally, as they're walking off the pitch, if you'd have offered them the 3-0 loss there, and it 0-0 in the second half, he said, we'd have bitten your hand off.
2: Yeah. And you know, the flip side of that, the nobody had come from two down, yeah, to to win a European Cup final since Benfica in '62.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, you know. And who would have thought that um, bringing on Didi Harman would have had such an well, effect?
1: Well, that half time is legend. Yeah, you know, legend as <laughs> chaos. Well, I, I was I was just going to say my my personal experience is you know heading to the uh, to use the uh, facilities, the facilities which were not too wonderful, that has to be said, <laughs> and the. Um, well, how should I put this? The conspiracy theories that were flying around inside among the Liverpool fans, how UEFA have done us again and this, mm. you know, this place, this is a disgrace and all this type of thing. And just like th- this was it. And I also received a text message from a from a friend uh, in Manchester who's just saying, they've humiliated themselves. This is brilliant. <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> and... You know, funny enough, I didn't receive a text message till after the game, but sure. uh, but it was yeah, but because again, <laughs> mobile out. signals and yeah, the, yeah, all, all the rest yeah. of it weren't particularly working that night. But uh-huh.
0: yeah, just the twinkle in your eye, John, suggests that you you enjoy reminding yourself about that text
1: message. Well, I just think it's <laughs> it's just one of those hostage to fortune things, <laughs> and just hilarious <laughs> and. He must have looked back on it. Some people have spoken about it since, but you know, a good friend of mine, uh, I'll name him actually, Richard Stead, yeah. BBC employee. <laughs> uh, and um, he, yeah, just, but that half-time that, but the, the one thing is though that there were, there were those Liverpool fans that were down and out and okay, you know, well, well at least we were here and all this mm, type of thing. Sure on, you, yeah. But walking back in, as soon as the games began for the second half, the atmosphere started. The Liverpool fans got behind their team, and it became one of those famous European nights. But not at Anfield this time mm. in Istanbul.
2: But there is a little bit of a of a, I mean, I, I yeah, the, the famous sort of very slow version of "You Never Walk Alone." Yeah, it's yeah, you know, so, which is meant to have changed everything. Like maybe it did. But the fact is that, that Sammy Happy makes a brilliant challenge on Cafu to stop him essentially a tap-in to make it 4-0. Mm-hmm. And then he should have been sent off for foul on Kaká. A really obvious professional foul. Yes. And the- but he gets away with, probably because the ref's thinking,
1: it's 3-0 already, you know, it's not going to matter why, Why I don't, I don't need to send him off. And the other thing is that the Milan players didn't push for it in a way that you might expect. Yeah. Um, certainly, you, you know, they would push for him to get sent off to get to see. It's one of those things where, we, these days, a 3-0 comeback is actually, you know, it's not that unrealistic. We've seen so many of them, but in those days, you probably thought, oh, we've done this. But yeah. you think this And also, match-
2: there's that code in, in Italian football that you don't humiliate the opposition. You might yes. want to favour them later, so we'll hold it at 3-0. And the assumption is they know that they've beaten 3-0 and you both hold back. We should talk about half-time then, that yep. tactical change. Yeah. So Steve Finnan um, is injured, and he's not injured, and he's injured again, and eventually the Liverpool re- physio... Does not want to go off. Doesn't either. want to go off. And he's gone into the showers and he's come back. And eventually, Dave Galley, the Liverpool physio, says, no, he he can't last another 45. Off he goes. So they decide to change to a back three. Um, Didier Mann comes on. uh, And amid this chaos, Rafa on his whiteboard, at some points has 10 players on the pitch, at some points he has 12. Uh It's complete chaos. But he eventually gets it. Yeah, comes up with a system to 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 stop the Milan surge with a man playing in front of the back three, and however Celtic it might have, the process of getting to that might have been, it did it did work. It did. He found a way of stopping the momentum of the game. It wasn't
0: the rousing Hollywood speech that that people might have thought. Well, it I was. mean,
2: look, Rafa's a brilliant manager. And I've got a lot of time for him. I really, yeah, I really like Rafa. I don't think he's a man who's going to give you a rousing speech. No, of course that's not, not but, what he's but a half
0: t-
1: um in in the Liverpool dressing room
0: at half-time is not what one would have
1: thought. But, th- I mean, th- Steven Gerrard is gave a sort of Churchillian uh-huh. speech about how he was a Liverpool lad and wanted... You know, I, I don't think that Benitez is a fir- an Alex no. Ferguson that could conjure yeah. that that type mo- moment, but he found his way. They rode their luck a, mm-hmm. a little bit, as, uh, as Jonathan said. Uh, but, it, you know, you do have to wonder what was going on at halftime in the other dressing room. And that's always been one of the the mysteries. Well, the story
2: is that you could hear them celebrating and and kind of that sort of... I mean, it's an easy thing for people to say afterwards. Yeah. that Oh, you know, yeah, we heard them celebrating. We thought, all right, we've got to show them. I mean, you're 3-0 up and you absolutely hammered them. Why
1: wouldn't you be pretty happy about it? I mean, I pulled a quote actually from uh, Pirlo's book. Mm. Uh, He said... um, we sat like a bunch of halfwits in the dressing room there at the Ataturk Stadium. <laughs> we were bloodthirsty thirsty zombies faced with an unforeseen problem. The blood was ours, and they they drunk every last drop. We couldn't speak. We couldn't move.
0: I mean, amazing, really, isn't it? I, I And Pirlo, having, having read his book, I remember some of the quotes saying that he almost thought about quitting football after. He said that yeah. sort of five or six minutes, he said... It just doesn't make any sense. It did, didn't make any sense. So I, I, know, I suppose we should start with that Stephen Gerrard goal after, what is it, 54 well, minutes?
1: I was going to say, Marcus, we haven't even mentioned
0: Stephen Gerrard yet. Yeah. I mean, because
2: <laughs> We had a decent second half, didn't we? Yeah.
0: yeah. But, the, but the, you're right. It, he was the man of the match in the end. But yet, has a man of the match ever had such a first half like that? Not just him. But well, not.
1: I mean, it, it might be said of Stephen Gerrard that there were games when this happened. Mm. Uh, but he always possessed the fortitude to to pull himself into games. Sometimes it didn't go quite so well. Uh, you know, that's one of the sad facts about Gerard. Actually, is that this game, particularly that the second half that Jonathan speaks of, and throughout the extra time, is one of the great performances, um, and it should define his career. Yet. Yeah. It didn't end up doing so, really, in a yeah, strange well, way. There's
2: a, you know, Scott Murray, uh, he writes for The Guardian, has you know, written, well, co-, co wrote a book with me on on, on Liverpool. Uh, but he's got this theory about Gerard that he's sort of like the modern embodiment of Royal Rovers. Yeah. And this idea of as a player who has this capacity to do brilliant things at almost any moment. And then what happens is your team, whether it's England, whether it's Liverpool, come to a line on doing that. And it doesn't matter how badly things are going. he will whack one in from 30 yards. As he you know, as he'd scored against Olympiakos to, uh, to make it two one in the group stage when he needed to win by two and then uh Mella gets the or did Mella get the second the Yeah, Gerard the third? Gerard got the, got the second and game. Gerard scored the with,
1: got the third. Your yeah. yeah. beauty. But yeah. there was this
2: sort of you know, <laughs> this belief that that you know, Gerard could just pull it out of the fire when you needed it. And, and, and once that... you come to a line and player doing that, you sort of forget all the planning and all the mm. Um, organization
1: that actually goes into top level football in, in the Champions League in particular, Gerard was. You would see him and realize just what a good player he was at that level. In 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 Champions League games against teams that probably weren't so used to playing used to playing against a player like him, he would turn up with those great moments and drive his team on.
2: Well, that's an interesting point. I think. I think he's a very English type player. I think yes. he is
1: that, that Roy the Rovers mm-hmm. model. But yeah, that idea of
0: unpredictable.
2: Well, so you yeah, know, who's he like? He's I guess Pogba now is a little bit like him. Uh, maybe a little less uh good. committed to one team. <laughs> maybe maybe a little less good. Uh Brian Robson obviously would have been Roy Keane of course. Roy Keane, would, yeah.
1: You know, and, and Patrick Vieira obviously of the if the the foreign players with the early at, Patrick Vieira when he scored yes, goals, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But Gerrard just had that 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 z- that uh, drive, that zip. Yeah, or oh, two maybe. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm. And, and scoring that
0: goal to get things going
2: well and, and I've, it's the weirdest thing I've ever ever known like, I can't explain it in retrospect but he you, you heads you, know, you heads it in makes it 3-1 and I turned to, to Paddy Barkley and he turned to me and I can't remember which of us said it but we were both thinking it and said they've won this now and I had no <laughs> I literally you know, control A delete I delete everything I've written in the first half because I had <laughs> even at 3-1 I had no doubt Liverpool were winning that game that's and that's ridiculous the, the really strange thing is I sat next to Paddy uh, at the Bayern Chelsea game in 2012, that final, and as uh, Thomas Miller walked off the pitch, being substituted with, I don't know, five minutes ago, whatever, Having with scored. the score at one nil, yeah, one nil to Bayern, and we did the same thing. We turned to each other and went, Oh, Chelsea have won
1: this. Yeah. And I, I, I don't know why. I mean, that was that was similar to Mateus leaving the field at, in Barcelona, yeah, it was, yeah, very similar to that. That was that was the thing that it's, reminded me it's of, that, yeah. Um, vainglorious or yeah, whatever. Yeah, the hubris of kind of yeah.
2: thinking you've done it. And, of course, it was – it was. I mean, we don't want to talk too much about 2012, but it was so much more pronounced there because it was in Munich. But yeah, it, it, is, it is just sort of, you know, suddenly in a stadium. It's like the whole stadium sensed it. The whole stadium knew that something really fundamental has shifted in the momentum of this game. I know maybe it's confirmation bias. Maybe I've had similar feelings in games when it hasn't happened. But, you know, that Jawa goal changed
0: everything. <laughs>
1: just talking about that goal, a uh, beautiful header by Gerard directed it in completely. But Dida's contribution to that.
0: <laughs> I, I'm glad you mentioned that because I, I've I have watched that goal before and I thought is is the keeper is he a little bit
1: switched off there? I mean so you well, think certainly... D- was switched off for quite a lot of that game. Oh well, well, he certainly switched goal.
2: off for six key <laughs> minutes in the
0: second round.
1: Well, to be fair he
0: did save the penalty. And no? pushed it straight back to him. But well, yeah. uh, well okay. Um but the second goal, the goalkeeper um, yeah, I mean look, it's a lovely... not a howler, but he would have been disappointed. It's a lovely it. strike Absolutely. from
2: Smeech He was only on the pitch because Keel wasn't mm. wasn't there. Yeah, he hits it really well. It's it's one of those that's slightly difficult for the keeper because it is just bouncing just in front of him and it is it has got that little bit of swerve on it. Keeper's disappointed with him. But yeah, anyway. the keeper's a little bit slow to move across and it goes over and, his and arm and
1: as a result. That stadium again, that pitch was not the best either. No. It, yeah. it seems to sort of catch a little edge off the pitch.
2: Yeah, but, uh, yeah. I mean, the ball probably had some top spin on it anyway. But yes,
0: yeah, I, yeah. But to but to score two minutes after, yeah, with a goal like that, as you say, it, it had maybe uh, maybe not everyone had had the same conversation you'd had with Paddy Barkley. But when that second goal goes well, in, suddenly it's kind of like, well, hang on. Well, I certainly, where's this
1: come from? I certainly felt it after the first one. Suddenly, thought, hang on a minute here, you know, because <laughs> Liverpool. I'll had, be honest. Had, it took the, the second one for me.
0: Okay, <laughs> I think I'll be but,
1: forgiven for that. But you weren't in the stadium. I wasn't yeah. in the stadium. And I, I,
2: I, I mean, I, I've, a lot of people I've spoken to since had the same thought of, oh, hang on, mm. this is uh, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. It it, it 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 got so much had gone against Liverpool, and to still have that chance, you thought th- they they would have to grasp it. And
2: and also, and were you at the Olympi- at the Olympiakos game as well? Or? I was not. No, right. Because I, I mean, I, I, that was the thing. You know, I sort of thought it's Olympiakos all over again. It's you know it, it kind of i had the same feeling in that game when it went to 2-1 that they are going to get the the goal yeah and so sort of, you know there's something this team this season there there's there's something about them as a i mean destiny's a ridiculous word to use uh and but yeah, it feels like it though well yeah i i think that's the point that a player may not if you said to a player do you believe in destiny do you believe that your life is mapped out I mean, some may say yes yeah. some but even those who say no absolutely not when they actually play in the game and they get that sniff of this is this is a bit weird, something odd's happening here, mm. then they start to believe in it. And then it's that, that as we say about the comebacks, what you know, once it becomes most believable it is it is achievable.
1: Yeah, and, and as as I said, it was less believable then, but I think these days the comeback is more believable. And maybe that's to do with the change in defending and so on, but
2: Yeah, and I and I think just it's there's a cumulative effect. Once they start happening, people start to think they can happen.
0: But I, I think also as well that again you go back to those starting lineups when we see Spurs peg back Ajax or Liverpool peg back Barcelona, you know I, I don't think there's that much disparity between the sides. There's no yeah. Jimmy Triori. There's, the there's no Jimmy Libert- Triori. We should make that absolutely clear. <laughs> well, but I, I I do think that 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 Liverpool players, you know, when you're lining up against those. Milan players, now as we say, a few of them were maybe past their best, well that showed they'd been around for a few years, you're looking at Yap Stam even, you know uh, Cafu, you can be a bit intimidated and when they wipe the floor with you you can think to yourself, oh blimey, here we go but when you get that goal, you think hang on
1: they're beatable. It it was an era in which before that Liverpool had bought a lot of players and had a huge turnover of players and just had bought a lot of players but not many good players Mm. and I think that's one of the big differences with Liverpool now is that they buy good players at a considerable premium. And there was so many times that they would buy players like Jimmy Traore, um, Igor Biscard, you <laughs> yeah. know, gambles that you know, even might Smitty, have worked.
2: He's like a tidy, neat player, but he's not
1: that well, level. He, he had been the best player for, it was Lontz they got him from, I think, had been the best player in the league on that season. So it was one of those where they they took a gamble.
2: They didn't keep him though, did they? No. I mean, they they didn't rate
1: him. That was his last game. Yeah, exactly. Um but Liverpool, at that point, it, it was... And one of the things is that that really wasn't Benitez's team. Now, one of the things we do know about Benitez is that he never likes his team and he always wants to change it. <laughs> <laughs> but um, that team he wasn't happy with. I mean, you know, every one of those players, if, if you spoke to them about with Benitez, would suggest that he wasn't happy with them. Even Gerrard and Carragher in later years have, have said that. Um, well, or so, Xavi Alonso,
2: he wanted to replace with Gareth Barry. Well,
1: <laughs> Gareth Barry was a very good Premier League player. He wasn't as the Javier Alonso. He certainly wasn't, no. But um, there, there was just a certain alchemy about this team. Um, one of the players, Luis Garcia, mm-hmm. you know, had a great season that season, particularly in Europe. Never really did much beyond that, did he? Yeah. And it's just that sort of talismanic well, player. Well, he, he
2: popped up doing some punditry on a recent game and it took me ages to work out who he was. <laughs> well, quite, yeah. <laughs> I'd just totally forgotten about him.
1: And I, I think it's a slightly – I think – it shows at this point, I mean, Serie a was a stronger league than the Premier League and that's the big difference that we probably have now. When you look at those lineups, those lineups, the lineup that Liverpool had is the type that an English team would have where you'd have a couple of stars, a couple of players making the name with that club, some who would be sold on, and then players to fill in positions and do a job for the manager. Mm. AC Milan looked like the type of all-star team we're used to watching in the Champions League these days, ahead of the time almost. Mm. Absolutely right, um,
0: and Jabby Alonso himself got the third goal. Yeah, in that amazing six-minute period, uh, Gerard breaks through again, trying to grab the game by the scruff of the neck. Was fouled. It was I a foul. I think he probably was. It was a foul. foul. Yeah, okay. Yeah, very near the edge of the box, shall we say? Sure. So he goes down, um, and again, I go back to Jamie Carragher, who said, "Sometimes in football, it, it just goes mad. Emotion takes over, and it's like you're in the park as a." 10 year old kid playing and he said if you look at when Gerard goes in the box he's Carragher said I think I was nearly up there with him you know Carragher's <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's kind of like right all hands to the pump yeah. and, and emotion takes over and that's because that is when it's so hard to to find focus in in the storm you know those Milan players I just thinking oh my goodness yeah. and 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 we we see it with teams when they go to Anfield you know again that kind of legend of of Liverpool but not just Liverpool other teams but but it seems quite um prominent with Liverpool in Europe uh and 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 in and when a game suddenly shifts you just it's that inevitable feeling and yeah. and when went, Alonso missed the penalty for that moment you thought oh ah oh, there you go yeah, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> right, exactly that was exactly <laughs> the problem. and
2: then you're looking around the press box as as it goes in the only thing I can comp- that I've known similar to that subsequently mm. was in Belizans in the semi final of the World Cup in in 2014, when Germany seemed to be able to score like you know, it seemed like it was every thirty seconds. <laughs> they got well, five goals in twelve minutes or whatever it was, and people were looking around going, "What's going on? I've never yeah. seen this before." It's what? eerie almost. Yeah, I mean, yeah, uh, comebacks are more common now. They tend to take longer than six minutes.
1: Yeah, well, that's true. I was going to say, actually, uh, that uh, an assist should be handed to Milan Barros for this. Because uh, if you look at the penalty that uh, that Alonso takes, um, Barros sort of barges into Nesta. So Nesta is the guy running to yeah. get the rebound and doesn't get there because of Barros's <laughs> So in the VAR era, well, absolutely. that may not have stood. Yeah. Well thank goodness it wasn't there well, for Liverpool the fans there R- really.
2: might have been 4-0 and, uh, and uh, <laughs> Liverpool down yeah, the yeah, 10 yeah, so, yeah, so yeah, absolutely yeah.
0: absolutely yeah um so yeah so and the interesting thing was you still got half an hour to play
2: well and and yeah what's really interesting is that my suspicion is if Liverpool had kept going for it I mean yeah that's one of the paradoxes of Benitez yeah. that in in some ways, his greatest achievement at Liverpool, were when he took the handbrake off, but he was a manager who, who wanted to play with the handbrake I, I, on. I, I, I,
1: I always think with Rafa, like it's where the handbrake was removed from him. Well, yeah. the team just went on. <laughs>
2: yeah. So you think of the the cup final against West Ham the following season, um, they where, needed to be behind and have to have yeah. you know, have to throw caution to the wind, but he put the handbrake straight back on. And you sort of think, could what, what would have happened if but he? Do you hadn't? think that was wise? Well, but, they won, so
0: you, well, you well, can't, okay, can't so criticize it, it. Sure, but
1: I, I think, I think, yeah, my memory of the rest of the game is a sort of, you know, more of, you know, balletic Pirlo, just making mm. passes. You know, Milan making angles to to attack with, and Liverpool's last ditch defending. And well, that
2: brilliant, brilliant save yeah. that um, De makes from Shevchenko.
1: Yeah, which um, which looked. Like a reaction save, though. In fact, I was reading. Um, in fact, probably written by you, Jonathan. In fact, the, <laughs> it, the the goalkeeping coach said it's a technically brilliant save, the the one that he made, which is the one where you make a save and then you get up to make yeah. the save straight again. You see goalkeepers practice that before every game that you go to. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the, the memories of that, the the, you know, almost an hour's football that followed are Milan on the attack. And this is where you know Jamie Carragher's legend is is writ large from that, you know, where uh, he's his socks rolled down his ankles, <laughs> throwing himself in front of everything, do-deck making saves, um, Liverpool having very few chances, as I recall. Yeah, um, and it, it was, but the game almost it it readdressed itself. It, the it became the game of the first half. But again,
2: well, not quite. I mean, it was a game of the first half, but with Liverpool actually
0: defending well. Yes, exactly. Yeah, but, yeah, but but again with that inevitability of you thinking, man, yeah, I, like look, I have score. to say, I, I kind of... What do you think they would?
2: I, I sort of began to think towards the end Liverpool have actually missed their chance here. What they should have done was finish it off. But, you know, half I think if it had been 10 minutes to go and when it got back to 3-3, let the thing go because it's must have been in your favour. Yeah. Maybe to try and sustain that over half an hour. But do you not think though would that would
0: have if, been? It, but it's three two with Liverpool. Milan are still thinking, oh, we're under the cosh, defend. And then they get the equaliser. Was once they got the equaliser, Milan are thinking, okay, we've got to go and win this. So if Liverpool are pushed on,
2: possibly. But on the other hand, they dynamic. must be so psychologically shattered that, that maybe there's a chance to get yeah. a fourth or a fifth. But I mean,
0: well, yeah. the fact is, it, Rafa, he did, Rafa did what he, what, yeah. what his,
2: yeah, all his instincts are. He went back to control. Yeah. And thanks to an unbelievable save from d uh and I think you know, Shevchenko still, you know, as magnificently well as d did to make the first save, get himself back up to make the second, Shevchenko fundamentally has seven yards of goal to aim at from from three yards out and he managed to hit it at the place where it's going to hit Dudek and go over the bar yeah.
1: at, at that point uh, you know it, it was clear to me that Liverpool would win From what did Shevchenko yeah, uh, from, CF, uh, uh, yeah. yeah. And, and Gerard helping out in the defence and he, t- he yeah. Yeah. became Roy of the Rovers but in a <laughs> yeah, defensive role He played role, as a r- right wing back it, against Serginho Serginho yeah. though Serginho actually had a lot of the ball uh, I'm not sure it was the most disciplined But it was
2: Serginho's cross from... for the Shevchenko chance Yeah yeah
1: yeah so we
0: find ourselves at penalties and really it, the way the game went, you thought Liverpool are going to have to win this on penalties if they, yes. if they are going to win the game. But again, when, when it goes to penalties, you look at the, the takers and you think, well, surely...
2: Man. Well, and Milan had won the Champions League on penalties two years earlier right. against, against Juventus at Old Trafford. But, but those and t- Shevchenko had scored the winning penalty. Yeah,
0: I mean, Liverpool, they only needed to, they only needed to put away three. Risa was the one who missed. But the, those who missed for Milan: Serginio, Pirlo, and Shevchenko.
1: Well, Pirlo d- did the. I mean, what Dudek did is what Joe Hart failed to do. Yeah, you know, yeah. Seven years later, yeah. yeah. When we all knew about Pirlo, um, so well done, Joe Hart. Um, and um, <laughs> Shevchenko attempted the same, but and, and both those penalties betrayed players that had lost their nerve completely.
2: Well, and it's also you know, it's, it's um, Serginio's. You you have, um, you know, whenever you get sort of, you know, a, a fixture comes up and you say something like, you know, um, Leicester haven't won a Goodison Park for 15 years or, or whatever, mm-hmm. and you sort of think, well, I, it might matter they haven't won the last two years, but yeah. realistically, none of these players are like, there's Dudek acting out something that happened in 1984. <laughs> like that legend of Liverpool, he's literally kind of, he's taken a great moment of from 21 years previously mm. And he's reenacted it and somehow it's had the same psychological impact on another Italian team I, I, I don't know if, if Sergenio or Shevchenko or, or Piolo knew about those Roma misses back in 1984 when when Rob did the wobbly legs and but yeah Dudek
1: obviously knew and Dudek sort of reinvoked that surely in Italian football of the 90s and 2000s uh keepers trying to put People are taking a penalty. I mean, that was surely they did that because they try every other trick. So yeah, you'd think so. But maybe doing specifically the spaghetti legs, the kind of yeah, it was Jamie Carragher, wasn't it, that encouraged that from Dudek. Yeah, you know? I've no doubt. I've yeah, no doubt. yeah. That, but I won't use the word that he said. But, you know, <laughs> but yeah, but yeah, Dudek, one of the heroes of the night, it turns and, out. And, and, and somebody who like quite a few of the players playing for Liverpool that night, knew that it would probably be... It was certainly his last first game mm-hmm. as a first-teamer for Liverpool, um, you know, because we knew that Reina would be coming in. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's one of the things about that team as well. I mean, even Steven Gerrard thought that it be, might be his last game because yeah. there was this big uh, Chelsea deal coming into view. Um, it just felt like this was Liverpool's chance. It, 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 this team... I would imagine, but this team never played again together. Just such a night of—I mean, I know Jonathan doesn't like that word, neither do I. That sort of destiny, really. That came mm-hmm. well, I don't. Came it's, together. It's not, I
2: don't dislike the word. I, I just think it doesn't mean it's come to mean something different to what it actually yes, means. Yes, exactly. You yeah. know, that it's, it's come to mean in, in a sporting context. Though, though, I mean, anybody who's played sport knows it happens. It doesn't matter what your philosophical or religious beliefs are. We've all played sport where you're having a great day and it feels like anything you touch is going to turn to gold and you've also had the opposite and you know suddenly at half time those priorities flipped
1: the thing is Liverpool went through all of it from like this has been the worst ever yeah to this being the greatest ever to playing in the greatest ever match and
2: and I think you know while the stadium quite rightly is criticised the aesthetic of it
1: was perfect well yeah that sort of um, extraterrestrial effects of it yeah
2: and the, you know, it's kind of quite an old fashioned look to the stadium inside because there's such a gap behind the goals, yeah, the running the track. black nets. It felt very, very exotic. It felt very foreign. It felt that you know, it had that sort of sense of exoticism that European adventures had had sort of 20, 30, 40 years earlier. And now we've become so familiar with Italian stadiums or Spanish stadiums, mm-hmm. they perhaps don't have it. But this felt something very and the heat of it the humidity yeah yeah it felt like the european yeah. night i remember watching on telly when i was a kid yeah and and and
0: that i i just for for me john this game um not not having seen liverpool play in, in the 70s and it, and not really in the sort of early mid 80s and all this game was such an important game to, to what Liverpool and and especially Jurgen Klopp try and feed into now you talk about you know, the history and, yeah. and the spirit of all this kind of stuff in, that Liverpool have in their, in their history but had this game not have happened I'm not sure that that would actually be as pronounced as it is in the modern day Yeah I
1: think it, it, something I was going to say is that I felt it's it's sort of the last game of the old Liverpool the club yeah. was still owned by David Moores and his family um, there was a club seeking to modernise they'd attempted it with Gerard Houllier who himself, uh, having been a teacher in Liverpool, felt like he was part of the club. Um of, Houtley, of course, went and congratulated the players after, which has been a source of <laughs> controversy. Um, I don't think that's quite as bad as it, as it was made to sound, actually. Uh, he's still a Liverpool fan to this day. Um, but Benitez was the manager. Now, this was the point when Liverpool were attempting to modernise. They brought in a, a leading European coach, who'd been very successful in La Liga, won the UEFA Cup. Uh, their other choice, uh, someone that they turned down, someone who has not liked them since, and thankfully doesn't hold a grudge, uh, Jose Mourinho. <laughs> and um, remember, of course, they'd beaten um, on the way. They'd beaten Mourinho's Chelsea, who I would say probably that season were probably the best team in Europe. I yes. think that's probably fair. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, that game at Anfield, I, mean, I was I was
2: lucky. I, did, I think I did every, certainly every Anfield knockout game that season. So the, the Juve game was a great game as well. Fantastic, yeah. Yeah. And the, uh, Igor Bistian's performance in Turin mm-hmm. was as outstanding as any individual performance by any Liverpool player at any point in that campaign. He was brilliant in Turin. And, and again, you know, that, that capacity to pull a great performance out of a player who probably knew his days at Liverpool were,
1: were, were coming to yeah. an end... Yeah, for, for, for a manager who is trying to get rid of all these players, Benitez yeah. is quite good at getting well, performances I, I from them.
2: it occurred to me at the time, but actually the, the, the comparison with Chelsea in 2012 is, is is apt in that sense as well, because a lot of those Chelsea players knew they were right at the end that this
1: was a last chance. Yeah, and, and, and just, just getting back to that point, I think at that point, Benitez's desire to change that, the team around meant the club decided that they needed to go in a different direction. That ended up down the, well, near cul-de-sac of the Hicks and Gillette ownership and then of course uh, the Fenway ownership that they have now the club needed to modernize the the story is that uh, the day after winning the Champions League um, for the European Cup for the first time in 21 years the club shop was closed (laughs) Uh, now you compare that to their great rivals Manchester United that had a complete merchandising operation you know that made them the richest club in the country uh, Anfield itself was a ground that, until actually quite recently, was not modernised. Yeah, um, Liverpool was still almost like a relic of, and, and this was almost like the the, old, the end of the old Liverpool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and it's I think taken there a long was, way to get there.
2: There was, um, I mean, obviously you, you, you don't know, but I, I sort of suspect that one of the effects of Hillsborough was that it was sort of a circling of the wagons and a kind of look after our own. Yeah. And so, when suddenly you get these these new economic opportunities from with Sky and the birth of the Premier League, which Manchester United seized, you know, incredibly enthusiastically and incredibly efficiently, and Liverpool just they you know there was no mentality at the club to 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 do anything radical to shake anything up. They you know, they, they were still sort of trying to come to terms with what had happened, and
1: and also they had been successful by doing it their own homespun sure, way, yeah. and that's that that was always, from what I understand, David Moyes's. Attitude to it and knows that they're around him and it, it, this, you know, at this game, the, you know, there were fans from all over the world. Liverpool mm. had a worldwide yeah. reputation in it, from an era when, okay, some of the games were shown around the world, but not in the blanket coverage yeah. we get now. And it, I suppose it, it reannounced Liverpool absolutely. And a Champions League final is the perfect place to do absolutely. that,
0: especially in such circumstances. And since then, three Champions League finals that, that they've reached and. Liverpool are now this this global force and whatnot, and that night in Istanbul, one of the most important and one of the most celebrated in in their illustrious history. I think we can all agree, yeah. Well, that uh, (laughs) finally we're at the end of that. We could have talked for probably another half an hour, there, gentlemen. Uh, What a game it was, indeed. Um, John, thank you very much. Uh, uh, Delighted to be here. Thanks for a fine choice. Uh, We've all thoroughly enjoyed that, unless, of course, you're an Evertonian or a or a Milan fan, and you well, you've probably switched off ages ago. Um, But there we are. Thank you very much, uh, ladies and gentlemen, for listening to the Blizzard's Greatest Games podcast, recorded at Outset Studios in South Wimbledon. Jonathan and I will be back for more games from the history of football.